Psalm 100. Amen. What a glorious psalm to begin this new year with. And believe me, I want to want again, once again remind you that the subject we're preaching on and have been preaching on is one that I am not myself an expert in. And the more I study it, the more I look on it, the more I meditate upon it, the less I know of its true depths. I cannot emphasize enough, again this morning, the great vastness and limitless of our subject this morning, found in Psalm 100. For though one may begin or find a beginning to this divine subject of worship and praise, yet once you've begun, believe me, there's no ending. It has a boundless and endless theme to it, as God is Himself endless and eternal. How is it that mortal man can ever bring praise and adoration and worship to God in a way or in a manner or in a fashion that can ever be worthy of God? We pride ourselves in thinking we do a great job in worshiping God. And yet if we ever really truly understood what true worship was and is, that form of worship that glorifies God, we'd be humbled by our great inability to perform it in a manner glorifying to God. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail. For as we cannot, by searching, find out God, said Job, nor can we find out the Almighty unto perfection, so too the devotion and worshiping of God and His perfections and His excellencies has no end. But it is as eternal and endless as God Himself. The subject of Psalm 100 is not to be sung for men or to men, but for God unto God. And if you've ever come to know truly the infinite grace and mercy of God in the light of your own weaknesses and failures, then you too would admit that the subject of Psalm 100 is one which is of vast, limitless subject. It's a truly amazing psalm, one which in many ways stands out amongst all the psalms. For though all Scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God, each word profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, the divine truths found in this 100th psalm clearly sets it apart from all other psalms while at the same time embraces and embodies the heart and soul of every song. That's how amazing God's Word is. Five short verses and a mere 86 words. Yet their divine truths have been the greatest source of comfort, hope, and joy for all generations of God's people, the sheep of His pastor. And His divine truths, dearly beloved, shall continue to encourage, comfort, and rejoice the hearts of God's people throughout all eternity. Never ending. Even now, like all God's truths, the more one reads and meditates on these divine truths, the more magnificent and amazing their depth. When I first began Studying this Psalm 100 as the Lord laid it on my heart. I could have never, never known the depths of which this psalm would take me. In teaching me and showing me what it is to worship and praise God. With each new discovery of God's Word, the child of God learns 
that it opens yet a greater depth not yet known. That's the amazing truth about God's Word. The more you seem to know, the greater you seem to know less. It's a hunger which is satisfied yet never filled. It's a thirst which is quenched yet never fully relieved. The more the Word of God quickens us, the more we desire to know of its divine truth more fully. It's never ending. This is the power and the amazing truth about God's Word. Open thou mine eyes, said the psalmist, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. The psalmist was well aware of God's truth, and yet he knew there was yet more wonders, more wonders in God's law that he had not discovered. And the more you study the Word of God, the more you begin to understand the truths, the depths of its truths are so fast and so limitless. You will never extinguish the truths of God. You will never come to know the end of God. He just keeps getting bigger and better and more glorious than ever before. Our worship changes. If your worship has not changed over the years you've been saved, you must go back and question even the very foundation of your salvation. Because as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our worship as well grows as we begin to understand God and who He is and all His excellencies. If we're truly reading and meditating in the Word of God and not like this superficial generation that seeks an emotional high, if we're really desiring to know the truths of God, our worship shall also grow. It'll be more intimate, more personal, more God-glorifying. We seek less of what we desire in worship and more of what God desires. It's not pampering my flesh and making me feel good, but it's giving God honor and glory for His glorious name. This entire Psalm 100 mentions nothing about ourselves. It's all about God. We live in a generation today where the gospel is preached apologetically. It's an apology gospel. They try to preach people into heaven without showing them they don't deserve heaven. The Holy Scripture declared Martin Luther is like a sweet herb that when you rub it, the more it emits its fragrance. Wonderfully said. And so it is with this glorious Psalm 100. The more you meditate upon its divine truths, the deeper its divine truths grow. And with each new discovery, it opens yet a greater depth not yet known. Five verses, 86 words. And they speak of a subject which is endless and eternal. Because it speaks of worshiping a God who is endless and eternal. Do you seek proof or evidence that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Beloved, I encourage you, seek it not amongst the scholars or the testimonies of men, but within your own heart. That's the greatest evidence that you'll ever have that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Men spend hours in theology and in Bible schools trying to teach and defend the inspiration of God's Word. I'm telling you the greatest evidence that all Scripture is given by inspiration is in your own heart. Not scholars and testimony in your own heart. And the divine fruit of such divine inspiration according to that same passage of Scripture is not seen in our mere profession of its truths, but by our being made perfect or complete, that the man of God might be made complete or perfect, 
Truly furnished unto all good works. That's the evidence of our truly understanding and believing that all Scripture is inspired by God. And beloved, let me tell you something. The greatest work, the greatest work of God's inspiring Word. Listen to me. The greatest work of God's inspiring Word is that of our worshiping of God. Do you know that? That's the greatest work that a Christian in this lifetime shall ever do. Worshiping God. And yet we live in a generation, especially after the days of COVID, when people were closed and locked in their homes and looking at church over the computer and television. We've come to a day and age where people don't see the need to gather together as God's people, to assemble together physically, corporately together to worship God. And I'm telling you, that's the greatest work we can do as God's people is worship God. It's the first and foremost work under which the Word of God inspires us. When Paul was newly converted and the Lord revealed Himself to a disciple and said, Go to Paul. Sabbath said, Oh, wait a minute. He persecuted the church. He can't be a Christian. The evidence that Paul was converted, the Lord said Himself, You'll find Him praying. Prayer is the highest form of worship. A child of God can do in this life. That's the highest form of worship. It's praying. He teaches us to worship. And that's a never-ending subject. That's a boundless, limitless subject. And I hope and pray that God would continue to bless us as we look at this Psalm 100 and that the Holy Spirit of God might teach us. Why do you think that hymn we sung, Come Father, Come Incarnate Word, Come Holy Spirit, Come all three, Godhead three. What? Teach us to worship. Why? Because we don't know how to worship as we ought. But we ought to long and desire to worship God in spirit and truth. For such seeketh the Father to worship Him. John chapter 4. So Psalm 100, enter into His gates, verse 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him. And bless his name. How often do we quickly read over the word of God without spending enough time meditating and thinking upon it? The last few weeks I've attempted to listen, and I'm not saying every preacher, but I've attempted to listen to quite a few preachers on this Psalm 100, and it seems as though this is one part of this chapter that they seemingly skip over in a rush to get to the Lord is good, and He is, and His mercy everlasting, and it is, and His truth endureth, and it does. But I'm telling you, you miss anything in this Psalm. If you miss anything in this Psalm 100, you're not going to be able to understand what true worship is. Not only are we as God's people and the sheep of His pasture to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise, but once inside this sacred wall, we are to be thankful unto Him and bless His name. It's one word. The the psalmist, the writer, doesn't even stop to breathe. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. They go together. The enter into His gates and into His courts. Beloved, that's a symbol of corporate worship. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture, enter into His gates, enter into His courts, with thanksgiving, with praise. That's corporate worship. But once we get in to those sacred walls, it's an individual and distinct worship of that corporate body. Listen to me. This is what worship is. There's a call to corporate worship, but that corporate worship is made up of individuals. Each one of us. That's why the psalmist goes from gates and courts to be thankful unto Him and bless His name. I'm not an expert on music. 
Brother Dave will probably admit to that. But corporate worship is much like an orchestra playing a symphony. Though all instruments play together, it is the individual sound of each instrument that makes such a harmonious sound. Whether it's the clarinet or the trumpet or the violin or whatever instrument it might be, each one has a distinct sound of its own. And each one is beautiful by itself. It's unique. Each one is unique. Yet when you put them all together, you have a symphony. And it's harmonious. And you put all those melodies together, and man, it sounds great. This is what Psalm 100 is like. This is what worship is like. We all come together as God's people. As the sheep of his pasture, we all come together with thanksgiving and praise. And then when we're thankful to him and we bless his name, we all unite together in praise. And that's a harmony in the, in the sight of God, in the ears of God that glorifies God. We're all as one, worshiping God. Each of us, each of us individually having thankfulness in our hearts and blessing his name. This is what worship is. This is what makes it so harmonious. Is that though we come together as a group, we are all individual. Like the orchestra. We all have a duty and a responsibility in our own hearts to worship and praise God. That is true worship. Corporate yet individual. Public yet personal. Each one, dearly beloved, joined together with all other instruments, creating a divine symphony before God with a glorious harmony, giving God all, all the glory and honor. So you see why it's so important that we all come in to worship with our hearts prepared? Now, an orchestra can play a symphony, and if one of the instruments are off tune or miss a note... The average person wouldn't recognize it probably, but an expert would. When we come together to worship and one of us, one of us are off tune or out of sorts with God or even one another. God recognizes that. Do you know that? This is the language of Scripture when it comes to corporate worship, when it comes to the church. That's why there's so much emphasis upon loving one another and supporting one another and being there for one another. And 1 Corinthians talks about the body. Every member is important. Each member has its place in the body. That's why it's so important, Ephesians chapter 4, talking about the church and the unity. That's why it's so important if we really truly want to worship God. It does depend on us individually coming into God's house and lifting up our praises united in love for God and one another. That is what brings harmony unto God and that is what so is missing in a lot of churches. Most people come into church selfish and seeking only their own selfish desires. They're not worried about worshiping God. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. This is what makes assembling yourselves together such a blessing. Yet how many have forsaken such assembling of the saints and that only to rob themselves of the great riches and comfort which only such an assembly can bring. I talked to a pastor this past week in the nursing home. He's a chapel for the hospice a bit older than I am, been preaching for years, and he expressed the same heartache and sorrow concerning the church. I'm telling you, dearly beloved, the world is against us worshiping. Satan is against our worshiping, assembling together. And they'll stop at nothing to hinder that. Because worshiping God is one of the most important, vital aspects of the Christian life, without which, dearly beloved, we lack, we lose a lot. 
Yes, we have our personal times with God. Yes, we have our personal devotions, and we should have, we must have. We must have those times alone with God. Yet I'm telling you, God has sovereignly, providentially ordained one day of the week so for His people to gather together, unified in a body, to lift up praises to Him. And it does mean something to Him that we come together in unity of heart and in love for Him and for one another. It does mean something to Him. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Like the entrance into His gates with thanksgiving is the forerunner of our entering into His courts with praise. Isn't it amazing? I mean, these words aren't just thrown together. There's an order here, and we'll get to that in a minute. There's, there's an order in worship. We don't do it chaotically. There's an order of worship. Thanksgiving is the forerunner for praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You can't enter his courts unless you're coming with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the forerunner. Why? Thanksgiving is what lifts our hearts to praise. So you begin with thanksgiving. There's an order to these things. And oh, how I wish as a young Christian I'd have heard these things 40 years ago. There's an order to worship. You just don't come in chaotically. There's also an order to thanking Him and blessing Him. It's by our first being thankful unto Him that lifts our hearts to bless His name. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. His amazing almost echoes itself in verse 4. Thanksgiving praise, thankful and bless, which is praise, honor, lift Him up, extol Him. Same thing. One's corporate, there's an individual. If we want to bless His name, we come first of all because we're thankful for Him. For Him. You know, the average person today, even at this very moment in churches that's singing hymns, they don't understand the half of them. They don't understand half of the hymns. If they're singing hymns, they don't understand half the hymns. And that's a tragedy, but that's also the sin of the pulpit because the pulpit is not instructing God's people. But then again, everyone's responsible for himself for we all have a word. We all have the Bible. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We sang a psalm, how excellent is the name. People sing those songs and it just rolls off their hearts like water off the back of a duck. They have no understanding of what that is. We're not to, like we said, like we learned last week, God is not to be worshipped in ignorance. We're supposed to be knowing who we're worshipping. Now, we don't know Him to perfection, but we should be knowing who we're worshipping. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. And bless His name. That's an amazing statement. To bless His name, dearly beloved, is to praise God for His glorious attributes and perfections. I was at least five years old in the Lord before I ever understood or heard the word attributes. Six years before I heard the word sovereignty of God. That's a shame. The average professing Christian today knows nothing of God's attributes. You say, what is that? His goodness, His mercy, His truth, His holiness, His righteousness. So when the psalmist says, bless His name, be thankful unto Him and bless His name, he's saying, praise God for His excellencies. And, and a lot of people today are going to church and singing songs that really center around themselves, not around God. So it's no wonder they have no idea what it is to bless His name. They're seeking for them to get blessed rather than blessing God. We bless you, God. When I first heard that, I thought, how in the world can I bless God? God should be blessing me. I'm not in a position to bless. No, we bless Him. We bless His name. And that name means all His excellency, all His attributes, all those things by which He makes Himself known unto His people. And in which the people of God find strength and assurance. His name. Bless His name. So when we come together, we're thankful unto Him and we bless His name. 
The psalmist explains that himself. And bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. You see, the psalmist explains the blessing of his name. This is what we're blessing, praising God for. Three distinct attributes of God. He's good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth. That's amazing because the psalmist could have put a whole lot more attributes of God than just those three. But I think those three are sufficient according to the psalmist for us blessing his name for the Lord is good. The Lord is good. You need to pray for next week because I really do want to preach a message on the goodness of God, but the goodness of God towards sinners. It's the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. It's the goodness of God. You know God is good in everything He does. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is amazing. He's good. Everything God does is good. He's good now. He's good even to the evil and to the wicked. He's good. He's good. He's good to you because you're alive. He hasn't destroyed you yet. You're not dead. You're not in eternal damnation. He's good to you. He's good to you. And yet Romans says you despise that goodness and you treasure wrath against the day of wrath. God is good to you. He's good. He's ultimately good. So when we bless His name, we're thinking about His goodness, His mercy, His truth, His faithfulness, His holiness, His justice, His long-suffering, His patience, His kindness. We're thinking about everything God is. How many people at this very moment at church are thinking about these things concerning God? They're thinking more about God help me get more money. God help me make it through the week. God give me strength through this. God bless me here. God bless me there. It's not about giving God praise. It's about seeking their own. No, the psalmist says bless His name. Bless His name. The name of the Lord, Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. What's He mean by name of the Lord? Everything that concerns God's perfections and excellency. Every attribute of God is a strong tower. Are you discouraged? Or are you confused about things going on in your life? Oh, find refuge in the providence of God. Do you know anything about the providence of God? You have to learn about it, how God takes care of everything. He knows the sparrow that falleth. He knows the hairs that fall out of your head. The providence of God, He governs all things according to His own goodwill and purpose. Nothing happens by accident to you. The providence of God gives us assurance of that. Are you worried about something not being able to take place in your life? He's sovereign. Are you worried about the world and all the chaos that's going on? God is sovereign. Have you found comfort in His sovereignty? He rules all things. The heart of the King is in His hand and He moveth it whithersoever He will. Amen. Are you worried about your sinfulness? Maybe you failed. God is merciful. His mercy is everlasting. Have you found comfort in His mercy? It's great. His mercy is wonderful. Have you sought to be led and guided in your life? His truth is a light on you, under our path. His word, His truth. You see how the psalmist says this? And he says it. He doesn't try to explain it like I am this morning. He says you should know this. You bless His name. Bless His name. He doesn't waste four things or four chapters on this. Isn't it amazing? You've got five verses, 86 words, and it deals with worshiping God, which is an endless subject, one that we'll never fathom in this present life, nor throughout all eternity. And yet, in the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospels, it said, you know what? If all the books, if, the, if all the things were recorded that Christ did as He walked amongst men, the world could not contain the books. That's just of Him walking amongst men. Yet the psalmist gives us five verses and 86 words and says, here's the heart of the matter. And the child of God digs deep into each word, each passage of Scripture in Psalm 100, and he digs out those treasures. It comes from meditation and reading and prayer. And bless his name. Our worshiping, beloved, of God is not to be filled with our own corrupt imaginations of God, but with an understanding and faith in who God is. In who God 
is. Do you know this morning who God is? This is eternal life, that they might know thee, not in a general way, personally. In times past, the Father spoke unto us by the prophets, but now he speaketh unto us by his Son. Over in Psalm 103, right across the page in my Bible, maybe not in yours, Psalm 103. Listen to the psalmist here, speaking about the Lord's name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless what? His holy name. With ever fiber of His being, all that is within me. The psalmist is inciting his own heart. He's stirring up his own heart. He's not saying, I'm telling you or somebody else told me. He's going, bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's speaking to him. He knows the sluggishness of his heart. He knows the dullness of his heart. And he's inciting his own heart to worship and praise God and bless His name. With every fiber of his being, his heart, his mind, his lips. If we truly knew how sluggish and dull our hearts are, dearly beloved, every time the Lord day approached, we would the night before at least, at least at the latest, we would the night before begin preparing our hearts because we know our hearts are sluggish and dull when it comes to worshiping God. I'm telling you, it takes a lot do you know the Bible calls Thanksgiving a sacrifice? A sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving. Most people today, they get up in the morning and they go through their normal routines and they have their breakfast and they, uh, many don't even give any effort to read the Word of God, let alone pray, and they do all that and then they go to church and they sit in church and it's almost like they're challenging God to bless me. God's nowhere near that. If we truly knew who God was and is and realized how dull and sluggish our hearts are to give Him the praise worthy of His name, we would prepare ourselves as much as possible like the psalmist and all that is within me and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Over in Psalm 96. Psalm 96. I'm going for the subject's sake to go ahead and read this entire psalm because it is truly in light with Psalm 100. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sounds like verse 1 of Psalm 100. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. There it is again. Bless His name. Have you ever? Now, let me just stop there a minute. Have you ever considered that phrase in your worship? Bless His name. Most Christians haven't. We should. Bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His what? Name. Little is spoken about that. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering. Come before His courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Boy, I tell you, if you, if you watched or if you looked at a lot of services today uh, or have attended one or looked on television, you, you'd find none of these attributes in their worship. 
Say among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. It echoes Psalm 100. Does it not? Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Say, preacher, how in the world could we ever have hopes of giving such a high God the one we just read in Psalm 96 and in Psalm 100, how could we ever, being the finite creatures we are, with the dullness of our hearts and the sluggishness of our hearts, how could we ever give glory that is due unto His name of ourselves? We can't. But do you know who can? Who has a name above all or every name? Jesus Christ. Listen to me now. This is the key to Psalm 100. This is the key to glorifying and worshiping God. This is the key. It's not in anything we of ourselves can do, but it's in and what we have in Christ. You know what Christ has enabled us to do as believers? He's enabled us to access, according to Philippians, into the very presence of God the Father. We have access unto the Father. Are you listening to me? We pray all the time in Jesus' name. Why? Well, because that's how we're taught in Scripture. When you pray something, Lord said, pray it in my name. It shall be so. Everything we do when we pray, every time we pray, we always, most always, finish with in Jesus' name. Amen. Why? Because it's in Jesus' name. The Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's not just in reference to salvation. He was talking to Thomas and the disciples. He was, he was in the upper chamber. <laughs> he was in the upper chamber. He says, you want, that? You, want, you want to really have access to the Father? You really want to praise God? You praise Him through me. Why through Him? He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The express image of his person. Do you see what we have in Christ? Do you see why we can come before the presence of God? Even though we're like the psalmist, are sluggish and hard and dull, even though we're aware of our infirmities and our weaknesses, yes, we are aware of all these things, but in Christ, in Christ, We can come into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. We can be thankful unto Him and we can bless His name. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations because of Christ. We come in the name of Christ. What a glorious salvation God as Christ has given us. Through Him we have access by one Spirit unto the Father. And so the psalmist says, be thankful unto Him. Thank Him for what He's done and who He is and what He's doing. Thankful to God. Be sincerely, humbly thankful, grateful to Him. Be grateful to Him. And with that gratefulness, our hearts lift up to bless His name. To bless His name. Worship is all about God and not about us. That's why I say this glorious Psalm 100, not just because it's the only psalm that has the title, a psalm of praise or thanksgiving, but I believe this Psalm 100 is the very heart and soul. It embraces every other psalm. And I believe every other psalm flows in some way directly from this Psalm 100. Lifting God up and is praising God for who He is. I'm, we, we've, we've, lost, we've lost this. Look at most of your hymn books. 
That's why I say I'd really next year like to look into getting another hymn book that has more, more of the old hymns in it because I believe the old hymns are closer to Scripture and these new contemporary musics that just repeat themselves all the time and it's, it's all centered around man. It's all centered around me. It's all what God can do for me. What they don't understand is if you worship God for Himself and only for Him, everything about you loses sight. And that's a good thing because then you don't worry about nothing. You fear for nothing. I believe this is one of the dangers that's happened to God's church in the last five years, more so in the last three years since COVID and people locking themselves in the room. I believe we've, we've desecrated worship. We're not worshiping God as we ought, scripturally. And all that is within me, every fiber of my being, bless His holy name. Look at Psalm 66 as we wind down this morning. Psalm 66 sounds also like Psalm 100, Psalm 66, <clears throat> verses 1 to 4. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Starts out like Psalm 100, doesn't it? Sing forth the honor of His name. There it is again. Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise. This is an amazing verse. Glorious. Make His praise glorious. Sing forth the honor of His name. Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works. Preacher, that sure don't sound like a very comfortable type of praise. Can't we have something that makes us feel good? You know, like the modern gospel today that is full of apologies. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend you. Let me tell you something, the gospel is offensive. But people's trying to preach people into heaven without telling them they don't deserve it. I'm telling you, we've got to be careful. Say unto God, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. What a God. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Selah. That's the God of Scripture. That's the God of Scripture we're called on in Psalm 100 to worship and to be thankful unto and to bless His name. Looks like a different God than what the world today is worshiping. Let me close with these thoughts. Beloved, regardless of what the world tells you and what a lot of these contemporary mega churches are telling you, there's a divine order in worshiping God. There's an order in worshiping God. And I'm not talking about the methods. I'm not talking about what instruments you use. I'm not talking about all that, though that has something to do with it as well. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the real worship, the worship that takes place in our hearts as believers. There's a divine order in worshiping God. And that in accordance to the Word of God. It must never be chaotic or whimsical. What's whimsical? Oh, just come in and say, well, let's just listen to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit lead us. That's not how it's, it's there's an order. There's an order to worshiping God. It's not according to corrupt imagination or sinful men or his fleshly desires, but in spirit and truth, the Lord said. Many profess to be worshiping God like we've already heard from John 4 when the Lord spoke to the woman by the well, yet they know not what they worship. They profess to be worshiping. They're going through the motions, the mechanics. They're singing songs even making melody in their hearts. Yet they don't know what they're worshiping. If you stopped and said, 
Who are you worshiping? What? Oh, Jesus. Well, give me more than that. Why, what are you worshiping? Oh, I'm, Jesus. You've got to give me more than that. Is that all you got? Jesus, no. What are you worshiping? And the answer is praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. And blessing His name. For his goodness, his mercy, his truth, his holiness, his righteousness, his long suffering. All those wonderful attributes and excellencies of God. His providence, his sovereignty. That's the blessed name. It's like Spurgeon said, and I, I never bore of saying this quote because it's true. He says, many times as Christians, we have to do, go out into the deep things of God, like in the sea, go out to the deep things of God, lose ourselves and come up refreshed. You want to know the ways of the Lord? Psalm 107, go out into the deep waters. Lose yourself in God, not in yourself. Lose yourself in God. Meditate upon Him. And everything about yourself will just dissipate. That's real worship. Many claim to be worshiping God, yet they're, in their hearts they have this inscription to an unknown God, like we learned in the book of Acts. Paul says, you're devoted, you're having a devotion, and that's okay, but the inscription you have is to an unknown God. Many people today at this very moment are having a devotion, but the inscription above their hearts is, I don't know why I'm really worshiping him. Well, Jesus died and saved me from my sins. That's a good start. Well, where do you go from there? Oh, well, Jesus died and saved me from my sins. No. Where does it go from there? And beloved, then there are those certain men, Jude said, who has crept in unawares, ungodly men, who have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That text means more than just the truth of God. If you read the context, they've crept in unawares into the church and they're changing worship into lasciviousness. They're corrupting it. May God give us grace and strength and courage and devotion to not defile the worshiping of God. And not to follow this world's carnal view of what it is to worship God, but stick to Scripture and worship God according as Scripture commands us. Because when we do that, it will be a joyful noise and it will create in us such a spirit of joy and comfort and strength. And bless His name. Do you know who God is this morning? Do you really actually know who? Can you say, I bless His name. I know who God is. And that's why I like how the psalmist doesn't stop there. He gives you, he gives us the reasons for it. He said, and bless His name for, for. Why do we enter into His gates with thanksgiving? Why do we enter His courts with praise? Why do we, are we thankful unto Him? Why do we bless His name? Verse 5, the psalmist says, This is why, for the Lord is good. I don't know. If I would have tried to write this in my own flesh and own understanding, I probably would have put maybe an attribute I like. The providence of God. I, I, love, I love the providence of God. The sovereignty of God. But no, the psalmist inspired by the Holy Spirit says, no, I want you to start this off by reminding God's people that God is good. We forget that. He's good. He is so good. And right now, He's especially good to you, sinner, because you're sitting here breathing His air. He's keeping your heart going. You're enjoying the benefits of that sunshine, sun that rose this morning. You're enjoying the benefits of the stars in the sky. You're enjoying all the benefits of this present life. God is good to you right now. He's good to you. You're not dead and in hell. You're alive. He's good to you. And yet every day you live without Christ, you despise that goodness. 
and every day you're treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath. Despise not the goodness of God. He's good. The Lord is good. And His mercy is everlasting. And His truth or faithfulness endureth all generations. Just three. But oh, how they should inspire us to be thankful. Praise Him. Be thankful unto Him. And bless His name. Amen. May God help us in this new year. Help us to... Like the psalmist, inside our own hearts and all that is within us to bless his holy name. To enter into this new year with this thoughts of blessing his name and being thankful unto him and praising him. Let that be how we begin this new year. And may God be gracious to us and help us. Because I'm telling you, when we do that, we walk away from worship service receiving more than we ever, ever ever thought and that is more of God amen may God be merciful unto us let's pray our heavenly father we thank you lord for your word we thank you lord how it truly reveals unto us what true worship is lord while destroying every corrupt imagination we could ever think lord how could we ever think that we can glorify you outside of Christ. Lord, we can't. Lord, I pray that God, you'd help us this morning and throughout the rest of this year and on to eternity to always have this 100th Psalm in our hearts and our minds. Lord, when we're depressed and when we're down, may we sing it from the bottom of our hearts. When we're in need of encouragement and hope and comfort, let us sing it Lord, when we're in need of being assured of your protection and your love and your mercy and your goodness, let us sing it. And Lord, let us sing it with all our being, praising you and thanking you for all you've given us. Father, we love you and we thank you now for all things. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.